15 to 16. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and he blessed them, laying his hands on them. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. As Scott said, we continue our series this morning. Um, I just want to talk about it for a minute. This summer, Scott and I were thinking through where we would go this fall with our sermon series. And obviously, a lot of the responsibility of the body falls on Scott. Not just Scott and I, but the session and, and many of you feel that weight as well. But one of the things we've we've said is that the body has felt over this last year and a half, almost two years, dismembered, right? Separated, distant. And our desire as we come back is to remember, to, to, to come back together, but not just to go back to the way things were, right? Uh, if you were in our DNA groups, we studied First Peter, and First Peter said, if necessary, you face various trials because they, they make you, they refine you, they grow you, they mature you. Friends, this is one of the greatest trials of our lives ever, right? And we want to use, as Scripture says, this trial, this hardship, this horrible pandemic to deepen, to grow in the richness and the depth of our faith. And through, as we come through this fire and continue through it now, to use that to deepen City Church, to grow us, to mature us, and especially with how we love and care for our children, how we think about them. If you've been coming to City Church for a while, you'll know, if, or if you've ever been part of a church plant, you'll know, Kids are hard <laughs> for a church. They're very difficult. And typically, if you don't know, kids follow the lead pastor's kids, meaning who, however old they are when they start the church, that's typically where the children's ministry is. And as his kids grow, the church really follows. I don't know why, it just kind of works like that, right? And, and from the beginning, though, this church seems to have, have to have a special calling with children. If you go to most city-type churches, there aren't a lot of kids. And we are, like, every time I turn around, I'm stepping on one, you know? I mean, they're everywhere. We're infested with kids in this church. And we love it, right? We love it. We can clap for that. We love our children. We love them so much. But we got to be honest, we often have not loved well. We, we, we're often burned out here. We're often scratching our heads. How do we do this better? How do we care for them? Right? How do, we, how do we grow and mature into all that God has called us to steward our children? And so this morning, that's where we're going. And, and, you know, if you look up this passage online, almost nobody preaches on it. So pray for me. <laughs> I mean, this passage is so short, but, you know, as, as God has wrestled with it over this week, I've had repentance personally. God's met me in it, and I hope he meets you in it, and I hope he meets us in it as we think about how to lead and love our kids, and then the value our kids bring to us, right? So I'm going to jump right in it. And, you know, just so you know, my, I have a child on the front row. <laughs> he is going to hear this. And, and children, there, I see some of your faces in here. With my son here, you're going to hear me talk about parenting and about leaders, how we love our children here. 
And you're going to hear things from me that maybe haven't been true in your home. And, and I, would, I would ask you to have a conversation with your parents, to invite them to that place, and for, for you to grow as a family here. Not to go con- convict or condemn, no, but to invite conversation. And for us as a body, as we listen and we, 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 uh, we emulate and get power from Jesus to do what he's calling us to, that we would have these similar conversations as we seek to love our children better. So let's jump in. Uh, This text is about how, initially, we get our kids in front of Jesus. Look at verse 13 again. It says, And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. Now, I think it's cool. Uh, I didn't see much around it, but it says they. It doesn't say parents. The Greek doesn't even refer to parents. So it's not like it's just parents. But the, the Greek is masculine. In its, in its, uh, uh, what am I thinking? Grammar, right? And so it's not just women. But the masculine can include women and men, right? But they, someone that has authority in these kids' lives, were bringing them. And the, the, if you look, do look at the Greek for this word child, it's actually infant, small child, right? S- small enough to, to be in Jesus' arms, as we see in the text. But they were bringing them to Jesus and the disciples hinder. Now, why do you think they hinder? I mean, this is, this is like Miyagi. I mean, this is, this is the man. You, you, we don't have time for that, right? No, he, he's going here. Like, you're, this is, they're messy. They're crying. They're wetting themselves. We, we don't want that around the master. And, and guys, listen, it doesn't say Jesus is angry much. And actually, it only uses this word here. He is severely angry. He's really upset at his disciples right now because they're hindering children from coming to him. Jesus' normal posture is compassion. He is very angry right here. I hope that stops us right here as we think about our kids. This is something that's really important to him. And you know the other verses, right? Anyone who makes one of these stumble, it's better to have a big old millstone around your neck and be thrown in the middle of the ocean than to make one of them stumble, right? Right? He's very passionate about children. Just sets the tone as we get in this passage. So for us this morning, I want to say this. I've said it already a little bit, but it's, it's not just parents. Some of you in here don't have kids. Some, some of you may ne- never have a child. But all of you in here are spiritual parents. All of you in here are called to lead the children of this church, especially if you're a member and you vow with us over baptisms, Right? Um, there's a woman in our church. She wasn't our church until yesterday. Her name's Allison Bear. And, you know, I get choked up a little bit talking about her. She, she left yesterday. She moved out of the city. She's moving to St. Louis. But she's been in our life since, man, I don't know, how long? 2008? Nine? And she's, she moved with us here. And she is, she's single. And she has parented my kids as much or better than me for all of these years. I mean, she has fought with my kids. She, I mean, she, she has sinned against my kids. They have sinned against her. They, they've prepared. She's prayed for them. She's loved our family so consistently and well as a single woman in this church. And single folks, if you're here and you don't have children, you are so needed. And this, everything I'm going to say today applies to you. And so hear this, please. All of us need to do this, and none of us can do it alone. And, and hear this. If you have kids this morning... The church, and especially the school your kids go to, they're never intended to parent your kids without you or to grow them and get them in front of Jesus without you. 
And we're not intended to get them in front of Jesus without each other. We need each other. It takes a city to raise a child. So I'm going to go back to what I talked about a year ago. I, I preached on parenting and leading our kids. And I'm going to give you more quickly what we talked about then, a framework, a sequencing. When you think about DNA, there's a framework to parenting that's really important. The order that I'm going to give you these in is super important. So the first one, when we think about loving our kids, is to delight in them. It's the foundation of everything we do is to delight, to give them our faces, to give them our smiles, to enjoy them. Uh, Proverbs 3 says that for the Lord reproves him who he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Everything is built on delighting in our kids. They see it in our face. It's the disposition of our heart towards them. And I want you to know, they can feel your disposition. If you say, I love you, it's, if they, they feel it. They know, kids know. They, you know. The BS meter in a kid is, is so high. Right? They, they know what goes on in our hearts, right? They, they can feel it from us. They feel that. And because delight, it's in the brain. There are mirror neurons that go on back and forth between a child, it's proven, and the parent, and people who interact with these children. And if, if we are feeling some kind of way that's different than how we communicate and lead, it impacts them. And so delight must come from the heart. It must be a favor, an enjoyment, a choosing of this child that is the foundation of everything else we do. Love covers a multitude of sins, Jesus says. It is love. So it's to take favor of them, to have pleasure in them um, in intangible ways. And one of the things we said a year ago was one beautiful way we can do this is with curiosity. To not assume or try to make our child into something. Right, just to, there's a certain pattern of what an obedient child looks like. No, but to pursue their heart with curiosity. Who are you? What do you like? What is God doing in you? How do I join God in your life as God's called me to, whether I'm the parent or the leader upstairs here or in this room after the service? Um, listen to this quote from Kurt Thompson. It's one of the most powerful quotes. It says this. It says, we can grow up in homes in which the food finds the table, the money finds the college funds, and the family even finds the church each Sunday, but somehow our hearts remain undiscovered by the two people we most need to know us, our parents. Powerful quote. We need to know and discover. You hear that word? Discover the hearts of our children. So we delight in them. We, we, we favor them. We accept them. And we teach them. Psalm 34, which says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Our delight of them helps them learn to delight in their Lord. So because we adore and delight in them, we desire that they learn to follow Jesus. And so our delight, built on the foundation of it, we disciple them. Discipleship flows from delight. We now begin to lead them in the ways, the works, the words of Jesus. Those things. And we've talked before. The, the, Scott even mentioned announcements, the up in and out. We help them learn to love and fall in, fall in love and worship the Father. Spiritual disciplines, all these types of things. Like, here's what, look, here's what following him means. Here's what scriptures say, right? Here's what Jesus did, right? Proverbs 22, remember it says, train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart of it. We want to train them, right? Our discipleship is to move them and shape them and help them become more like Jesus and the framework I gave for that was know, love, and serve. want them to know Jesus with their heads, their minds to memorize, to, to understand, to get the story. 
and then to love, to feel, not just to know it apart from what it feels like inside of them. What does it feel like to be loved by Jesus? What does that feel like inside? What are those emotions you have? How can I cultivate those to be combined with what you know? And that's both sides of the brain there. Feel and know together. How do we help them integrate these things and not just be a mind project or just something they feel, but both of those things. So know, love, and then serve. Family on mission to go with us, to open our homes and allow fellows in, you know, to invite people to love our kids with us, and then to see the least of these and run after those in our cities and not leave our kids at home or in the back room, but take them with us. They're with the family. Know, love, and serve. Um, Deuteronomy 6, I don't have time to read it because it's a long passage. It's, it's really cool. But remember, Deuteronomy is the new law. So they have Exodus, and then Deuteronomy is written, and it, it gives the law again, and there's explanations in it. And I love it because it says, one day, one day, when your kids come and they say, why do we do these laws, these statues and all these, why, why, why all of this? It says, tell them. Tell them about the day. We were slaves. We were in Egypt. We, we, were, we were caught there. We were stuck there. And our God heard us. And he loved us. And he sent someone to bring us out. And he has given us now his law because he loves us. And so all these things we do, it tells us to remind our kids of this story. The Exodus story. And today, why do we go to church, Mom? Dad? Why, why are we up here, city church leader? Let me, let me remind you of the story. There's a story. There's a really important story about a God who again entered in and, and took you out of your slavery and saved you and, and, and loves you and is leading your life now. And we want you to learn to trust him. Know, love, serve. We disciple them on the foundation of the delight we pour into them. And then finally, we discipline them. Discipline. Uh, Proverbs thirteen twenty four says, Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Diligent is, you know, we, we think it out, right? And I, I said this last year. I, all of my children are different. They all need very different kinds of discipline. If I just do the same thing with all of them, I miss them. And so diligence is searching, knowing, getting to know who they are, love them well. And then, all right, I love you. I've showed you the way you should go, and now you're getting off the way. You're, you're steering from what we've shown you. And so now I need to bring discipline into your life. But discipline is both, in Scripture, proactive and reactive. And so, to slow down just for a second, proactive discipline are things like spiritual discipline, right? Like when you go to the, when you go to the gym and you work your body out, you're proactively straining, you're, you're putting discomfort on your body in order to grow it. Things like chores, proactive discipline. Yeah, you're, you're teaching responsibility, right? Things like reading the Bible with them, helping them memorize. Things that, that, that so much that I want to do better as I proactively pursue my kids. But talking about uh, having conversations about relationships. This is one of the most important things I've seen, especially as my two older kids, even, even my middle son, uh, as they get older, they're, they're, there's things in relationships that they don't like it, that they're feeling, or things going on um, at school, eating disorders and struggles with friends, and, and talking that out. What are you seeing? What are you feeling? How do you love this person when you feel like that with them? So having these proactive conversations as you pursue them, right? And, and I know it seems obvious, but it's just not sometimes because we're so busy and we just assume that it's just going to be fine if we don't do anything. 
and, it, and it's not true for me, right? So these proactive things. But then there's reactive correction, right? Types of discipline. I love you see Jesus deal with people very differently. Even Mary and Martha, the two sisters, as they struggle to believe him and trust him. Remember, he's really stern with one and really soft with the other. Why? Was he just having a bad day on the first one? No, it was a few minutes apart. It's because he diligently knows their hearts. And so he knows what they need, right? And so that correction, it has to be specific to our children and what they need to help them get in line with what we're calling them to as disciples of Jesus. So we delight in them. We disciple, we train them in the way they should go. And if they veer off because folly is in the heart of a child, as Proverbs tells us, discipline brings them back. That's the place of discipline. Now, if we, as, if we think about being wise parents and leaders of our children, I want you to take for a second and let's take delight out of the bottom and let's put discipleship there. So discipleship is the core of what we do, right? So now the kids' obedience, they're memorizing things. They're, uh, they're doing what you ask them to or making certain kind of grades. Their discipleship, things you call them to, now determines if you delight in them. So they get your favor and your face of goodness if they do well. They get crushed if they do bad, right? You see what that would do to a child? That child begins to base everything they do. Success takes them up. Failure leads them down to shame. And then they oscillate between those things, right? And even as you read your children this morning, even as you spend time with them, What's their countenance like as they succeed or fail? Maybe that's what we taught them, right? All right, also imagine, now discipline before discipleship. So they've gone out of the way, and you pop that hand. And they have no idea they weren't supposed to touch that, but you discipline them, and then you tell them, right? Discipline leads, or for discipleship, what it ends up doing is creating shame in that child. Right? Creating, there's something wrong with you. You should have known not to do that. Right? And in a lot of homes, we grew up in like that, where discipline led the way. And you found out what not to do by, don't, don't make dad mad. Right? Don't, don't do that at church. You get thumped in the back of the head. That's what my dad used to do. He used to, I mean, just killed that skull crusher, as we called it. Right? Um, but those things, they, I, I say those things to say there is a sequencing, just like DNA. Delight has to be the foundation discipleship flowing from our delight, discipline flowing from our discipleship. So hopefully you're hearing that and taking that. And I think that's the first part is we take and we think about getting our children in front of Jesus. This has to be a part of who we are. And and if you're a leader in this church and you care for our kids upstairs, one, we need you. But two, your primary job is to delight in them, to give them the favor of Jesus, to show them it's not just their parents who choose them, we choose them. We love them, right? So we delight in them. And then we disciple them here, and we discipline them here. We have the, our city kids leader help us with methods of those things. And so now the second part of this is verse 14. It says, But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for such belongs to the kingdom of God. Now I'm going to do a, a quick, and this is, <laughs> I'm not going to be able to dive into this, but I want on this second part, as we think about our kids, I want us to at least, i, I got to mention it. So a lot of people use this text when thinking about infant baptism. Now, if you're not from a, a Presbyterian or 
I mean, there's other traditions that baptize children too, but in ours in particular, the PCA, maybe you come from a Baptist background and you don't baptize kids. You, you um, more dedicate and things like that. A lot of commentators say, all right, don't, don't just use this for baptism, but it's also dangerous not to use it, is what it goes on to say. That is, this is an important text that Jesus says, for such is the kingdom of God. These children are a part of my kingdom, is what he's saying here, right? And so with infant baptism, we do that here. We do them once a month, once every couple months, whenever they come up. Seems to be a lot, because <laughs> you're having lots of kids. Um, but yeah, we, we love to baptize our children. And, and one of the things we always say is that baptism replaces circumcision. That's what we believe in our denomination, is that, that in the Old Testament, when Abram believed God, it was credited to him as righteousness, then he was circumcised. So before circumcision happened, there was faith for him. But then he was told to give this sign of circumcision to the children as well. That the, the mark of the covenant would, would mark them too. They're through your belief, through your faith, a part of the covenant. And the, the pledge of circumcision was that God would be with them. I will be with you. I will take care of you. And I will, when the covenant, when the grounds of the covenant were met, I will, I will be what I promised to be is what he says, right? For thousands of years, the mark of the covenant's always been on a child, always. We get to the New Testament, Acts 2, it says, this promise is for you and for your children. It's the same language used with Abraham over and over and over. And you know the one time it's not used in baptism in the New Testament? It's when the eunuch is baptized. Now, some of you might not know what a eunuch is, but they are castrated so because they work around the queen, and they can't have children. So the one time when baptized, that the same verses that are used for Abraham to give circumcision to the children in the New Testament, that's not used as with a eunuch. Every other time baptism is mentioned in the New Testament, it's said this is for you and your children. Now, why is that important? Because the place and value of our kids is we don't just do babysitting here. That's not enough. It's not enough just to put them in a room and herd them in there so that we can listen to the sermon and sing for a few minutes and visit with our friends. They're a part of the covenant community. Their baptism into this community means that they are powerfully a part of not only do they receive, but they give. They bring value to this community. And Jesus says, don't get in the way of that. That makes me angry. Right? And so there is a powerful place, presence, that's called to here. And I don't have more time to give it. I just know this, that it's been said every time to put that mark on your kids over and over. And there's not a verse to tell us not to do it. It's not there. It just says do it. And so we are being faithful, we believe, to invite them into this covenant because they have a powerful place here. This, the benefits of the covenant here. But listen, kids, if you're here, the faith of your parents is not your faith. It is a part of what brought you into the covenant, but you still need faith. You have to appropriate what Jesus has done for you too and believe on him in the same way. Baptism does not save you, but it does this. It does it's about God's pledge to us, not our pledge to him. That's what baptism's about, what he promises for us. So our kids can't be on the back of a burner. And if you've been here for a baptism, you know the fourth vow is my favorite. We all promise 
to raise this kid with, that, with, that, with those parents. We promise. So if you're a member here, it is built into what, to, to what we're called to. So lastly, we move to our last point. Just when we think about how much our kids need us, Jesus goes and gives us the next verse. Listen to it. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Just when we think it's they who need us, Jesus flips it and shows how much we need to them. So not only do we need to get our kids in front of Jesus, we got to get our kids in front of us. In front of us. We need them. We need there's something about them that if we're not like them, we don't get the kingdom. And so for us, we got to get in front of them to learn what Jesus is talking about. Because you know, at least four times in Scripture, it's recorded, he's teaching something to the disciples, he grabs a kid. <laughs> you know, who knows who this kid is? But there's some kid always there, he grabs them and he puts them on his lap and he says, I want you to learn something about my kingdom through this child right here. Four times. He's, he's constantly putting him in front of his disciples saying, this is what maturity looks like. This is, this is what life in my kingdom looks like. So what is it? What are we to learn from our kids? What, what are those things? C.S. Lewis, I love this quote, and I'm not going to explain it, because I think it's one of those things, if you try to explain it, you, you kind of miss out on it. But listen to what he says. He says, even in this world, of course, it is the stupidest of children who are most childish, and the stupidest grown-ups who are most grown up. That's good, right? That's something for you children there, too, Right? So how are we to understand what Jesus is saying? Let's start with what he doesn't mean. Jesus is not saying we become unintelligent. We become where we're not savvy, or we're not wise. We, we don't just get childish in our thinking. Remember, he says, grow up. We don't want, just, we don't want to be like, like babies anymore. We want, we want solid food. That's what he says in other places in Scripture, right? And so we know it's not just to be immature. It's not to, uh, we don't need to know anything. That's not what he's saying here, right? There, there, but there is something that he's calling us to. If it, so if it's not that, what is it? What is he saying? Children provide a paradigm for discipleship because in them, they have something built in. Children are dependent. They're needy. They're messy. And there's not much pretense with them, especially the young ones. You know, you get what you get. Right? It's, it's who they are is what you see. So there's, it's, it's something that, there's something in this parent-child relationship that is true of our relationship with Jesus. And now, how do we know? Look, look at some other places. Hey, Jesus, how do, how do you pray? When you pray, our Father. Over and over, Jesus refers to him as our Father. And as he teaches about this God, he's our father, and I am your brother. He has this familial relationship that he's talking about. And so children have a neediness, a helplessness. They struggles in, in their hearts. They, they bring, right? So um, they, they, also, they also have amazing imaginations, right? Uh, we moved our kids. So we moved our new fellow Faith upstairs, and we've moved our kids downstairs in our house. And my boys were dreaming about their new room. So Keller finally got his own room. And my other two boys are together in this room. And my son Graham's like, Dad, I got a plan for the room. And he starts telling me about these lights and this little bridge thing. And, this, and he's, guys, he's 100% serious. 
that he wants this in his room, right? Like, guys, he, he, he didn't think about how much money I have or don't have. He didn't think about how I use my time and how much time I might or might not have to build a bridge in his room, right? He didn't think about the height of the ceiling or the limitations of our home, nothing. He just knew he dreamed something that would be amazing and fun for him, and he wanted it. Doesn't that start to entice you a little bit? Don't you want that? Don't you want to come before a God who, who is endless in what he has and what he longs for us and say, God, this is what I hope for. This is what I want. And, and as we become these hardened adults, we forget that. You know, and even we even applaud when we're not needy. We applaud that we don't need one another, you know? And that's, independence is one of the worst things we can give our kids in some ways. Yes, we want them to learn to care for themselves, for sure. I don't want to be taking them to the bathroom every time. But how do we keep them that dependent, imaginative, playful spirit about in them? But also, how do we get that back? You know the movie Matilda? I think it is the best movie ever to show this. Matilda is like the perfect adult. <laughs> Remember, she can feed herself and all that. She's a little kid. She's brilliant. Right? I, think, I think that's what God's calling us to, to look like. Uh, there, there's one more C.S. Lewis quote. He says, um, I, I love C.S. Lewis in this area. He loves writing about children. And I don't see my quote, so it's okay. But he says that we basically need an adult brain and a child heart. That's what we want. An adult brain with a child heart. That's the perfect adult. That's what he calls us to. It's just this neediness. And to not hinder that. Um, I have a friend who's, um, whose child, I, I've shared this story before, but I'm, you know, I don't want to be somewhat careful with it, but um, his, his child uh, had a big failure and struggle um, for him. It, it wasn't like a moral thing. It was more of he just he didn't make a team. He was a basketball team he was trying for. And my friend always made the team. And he just didn't know how to care for his son. And as his son's like 12, and he, he was really upset that his son didn't make the team. And he was upset with his son because he felt like he didn't try to give himself in the right ways. And, and I was at his house, and he said, he said, I said, man, where's your son? And I, like, I, I have a good relationship with him. This is in, another, this is in South Carolina. And, and he's like, man, he's in his room. He's reading his book. And I don't know, but we're, we're having a tough time right now. And he tells me what happens, basically. He's like, man, you got any thoughts? And I was like, man, here's my one thought. I think your son in there is looking at porn. He goes, what? What? No way, not my... I said, no, 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 Chris, I'm kidding. He's not looking at anything bad. Where do you think he learns it from? He's learning to find comfort apart from you. He's learning to go by himself. Go by himself and enter this world of a book, and he doesn't have you. Like, he needs you. He needs, he needs your face. He needs your delight, no matter what he's going through in his life. Friends, that's how I celebrate my kids' independence. I celebrate, man, they don't need me right now. I can just lay in bed. I don't have to get down and play with them. And I remember our counselor was in our house, like, she, she just comes and stays with us. She says, Mike, do you play with your boys? I'm like, yeah. I mean, I, go, I coach them in soccer. She's like, no, do you wrestle with them? Do you, do you like, they, they need that every day. I'm like, every, you know, my dad didn't do that with me. He couldn't. You know, I started wrestling with my boys. And maybe I've told you this, but guys, our bed's broken. <laughs> like, it's broken. Because they got WrestleMania, the, the, um, the video game, and they learn moves, and they jump on me. And, but it invigorated our relationship. It gave us a life, and it actually began to teach me to play again. 
to enjoy them again, right? Our kids need that, but we need that from them. We need to remember this neediness. And listen, it's built into a child. It's built in. For us, we have to choose it. Neediness, helplessness. We need you, Jesus. Poor in spirit, as Jesus talks about it. All these things that God calls us to. Our children teach us that, so we need to get them in front of us so we can learn how to, how to have that kind of relationship, what Jesus is talking about with life in the kingdom. And let me, let me take it just a little more beautiful for you. What did, what did they want Jesus to do in verse 13? Do you remember? What did he say? Touch them. They're bringing their children so he would touch them. Let's read the last verse now. And he took them in his arms and he blessed them, laying his hands on them. hope that landed on you a little bit like it does me. They went for a touch. He grabbed them, and he sunk his face in their neck. You know, and he just loved on them. He shook them, and he's just, and he, he gave himself to these kids. When's the last time you did that with Jesus? Where you're in his arms, and he's enjoying you. It's not just a simple far away, oh, let me just touch this kid. No, he put him in his arms. And he loved them, and he prayed for them. Uh, the, the book of Luke says he prayed for them. He looks up and he blesses them. And let, let me just give you the picture. In the Old Testament, kids were really important. The Jewish hi- history, kids were valuable. They were important. Unlike any other place in history, children had a place. And you remember what fathers would do right before they died? They would take their oldest son, and they would put their hand on him. And they would, they would acknowledge that they're leaving, and then they would bless them, and they would say... You have my name on it. You have my authority. I'm giving that to you and everything I own. It's yours. That was the blessing from the Father. Jesus grabs him in his arms and he prays and he knows I'm giving them all of me. I'm about to go to my death. I'm about to go to that cross. That's why he became a baby. That's why he put on flesh and became a baby he, he submitted to our humanity and went to a cross. And the one who was rich became poor. The one who was connected and the son of the father became isolated. The one who was without sin became sin so that we could have the righteousness of God. Do you know that? And that's why he takes you in his arms. And that's why he calls us to take our children in the same way and to not just touch them, but to grab them and to sink our face in and to learn that with him. That's what he hopes. That's what he wants for us. And that for us is to see the one who lost intimacy is so that we could have that kind of intimacy. Do you long for that this morning? Can you begin to dream on behalf of our children that they need us, our delight, they need that face. They need us to drink in Jesus' delight and to be discipled and disciplined by him so that we have power to give that to them, right? And so let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Jesus, that you take us in your arms and that although we're sinful, just like kids are, although we we miss it and we're messy and we, we don't have it together, you love us and you delight in us and that you disciple us and you discipline us because you love us. Jesus, I pray that that paradigm would get in us and that we would value and love our children well here. I pray for every adult in here, especially all of us, Lord, I repent of being too much of an adult. I've forgotten how to play, how to love, how to feel, 
how to be messy, and I have so much pretense in my life. And I pray, Lord, that you would just, you would, would help me learn from my children and these children here how to be needy again, how to be, how to long again, how to be playful and how to believe that you're such a good dad and that you're so strong, you can do anything. And so, Jesus, would you bless the children in this church? Would you bless the ministry of this church to our children? And would you help us know their place, that they're powerfully a part of this covenant community? And, and would you help us all as adults in here learn from them so that we could go and take that playfulness out into the world, we pray. Amen. Well, this morning we have an opportunity to respond. Um, there's Isaiah, I think it's Isaiah 55, 11 says this, that, 